You ask, we answer your immigration questions. Simple. And now your host, immigration lawyer, Jacob Soposhnik. Hello, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ask an Immigration Lawyer. I'm excited to introduce the next several episodes because we are actually using audio from our YouTube videos to share with a lot of the people that are not able to watch the videos every day. They prefer audio version to be on the go. So you, you can listen to it in the car or whatever you, you want to get the information from about our the immigration changes and the different topics we cover in, in those videos. So the next several episodes will have audio from our YouTube videos and also full transcripts with easy to find uh, section description of what you have in each episode. So hopefully you like this format. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, let's jump in right into this next episode. So enjoy. And we'll see you in our next episode. Hey everybody, my name is Jacob Saposhnik and I'm an immigration attorney based in San Diego, California. Now, we have a lot of emails and questions of people who want to know how to do the forms. And again, we are immigration attorneys, we don't give legal advice, but I thought it would be nice to show how to complete a form, what it looks like. It's all done for general information only. And when you have a case like an adjustment of status based on family or employment, those are really complicated things and you should definitely work with an attorney. This video is done for your general information, so you'll be more informed. We want to give the power to you so you can understand and have less questions and more answers. Let's jump right into it. We will now begin with Form I-485, and this form is extremely important that you have all of your information correct because this is the form that the USCIS will use in order to prepare your green card. So if your name, your address, your birth date, or your birth country is incorrect, your green card is gonna come back as incorrect. And in order to get it replaced, you will have to pay a high fee. So make sure that all of the information on this form is entered correctly. Check it twice. So we'll start first with the name. Now the person who's going to be Completing this form is the beneficiary. The beneficiary is asking to apply for permanent residence. So this is not the petitioner completing the form. It is the beneficiary completing the form. So this is the beneficiary's legal name that we want to enter here and also any other names that they've used since birth. Again, if there are uh, if it doesn't fit on this form and they give you three opportunities to put different names. If it doesn't fit and you had other names that you've used, you want to go to the last page or write an addendum. Other information about you, the beneficiary, then we're going to enter the date of birth here and the sex and the city or town of birth. Information about you continues with the country of birth and country of citizenship. The alien number, again, is only if you've been in the U.S. before. Some students may have an alien number already assigned to them. Um, other people that have been here with different types of work visas would have an alien may have an alien number. Uh, it just depends. But uh, most of the time, if you're, if you're uh, going to apply for marriage visa, or I should say immigration through marriage, then you probably don't have an A number. Same thing with the account number, social security number. We discussed that with the I-130 and I-130A. You're going to enter your U.S. mailing address here and 
This alternate mailing address is only for persons who are filing through VAWA, so you can leave that blank. You are not filing through VAWA, but while you're filing through marriage. So under recent immigration history, you're going to enter your passport uh, information with the expiration date and the country of issuance, your visa number, your non-immigrant visa number. Place of last arrival, you want to enter that, the date of the last arrival. And when you arrive, they want to know if you were inspected at a port of entry. So if you entered the U.S. through crossing the border or an airport and you were admitted at a port of entry, which you have to have been admitted at a port of entry in order to file for adjustment of status, you will click on this that you were inspected. Um, some people have entered uh, with an advanced parole or a humanitarian parole and if that's your case then you want to click on this one and uh, if you came into the United States without admission or parole you want to click on this one. Uh, there are still people that are able to file if they entered uh, without inspection uh, but only if they fall under what is known as 245i and will see a section that pertains to that later. But almost all people will be here was inspected at port of entry. You want to enter your I-94 number and again we talked about the I-94 number it's in the you can get that from the CBP website. Your current uh, immigration status if you entered lawfully but you have now overstayed then you will enter here overstayed. If you are still in status and you can leave that, you can write in your B1 or B2 status. And this goes back to your I-94 form, which again, you can get through the CBP website. They want to know the name as it appears on your I-94. Usually it is almost the same as it appears on your passport. Uh, sometimes if the, there are too many names on the passport, they will shorten it. But if you go in, you can find what they entered. So if you're filing through marriage, then you're going to click on this one, Immediate Relative of U.S. Citizen with a form I-130. And then all of these other options are going to be left blank. And we're going to jump over to number two. Are you applying for adjustment based on Immigration Nationality Act Section 245I? So some people who uh, have petitions that were filed prior to April 30th of 2001 and entered unlawfully without a visa uh, would mark yes here. And, um, and those people would have to complete another form as well. But we're just focusing on the marriage case right now. So you probably entered legally, you're going to answer no. Application type or filing category continued information about the immigrant category. So if you are the principal applicant, uh, provide the following information. So this is, uh, this section is usually not for marriage cases because it has to do with, with uh, petitions that have already been filed for other people through an employer or through a, a relative and 
this uh, may not apply to, this does not apply to a normal marriage case, so we'll leave that blank. Additional information about you. Have you ever applied for an immigrant visa to obtain permanent residence uh, status in, uh, at a U.S. embassy or at a U.S. consulate abroad? So if someone ever filed a petition for you before and you applied, uh, then you definitely want to mark yes here. This form, it's really important for you to be very honest and very clear because, uh, again, these, this is for your permanent residence status and you don't want to have any incorrect information on it. So if you did apply, then you want to enter the city and the country where you applied. So now there's going to your address history. This obviously should be the same as what you put on your I-130 form. So you want to make sure that your information is consistent. And it wants to know, it wants you to provide your most recent address outside the U.S. where you lived more than one year. That would also match the information that you put on your I-130 form. Again, the employment history would also match your I-130A form. <clears throat> and they give you more space here for more employers than they do on the I-130A. Information about your parents, you entered a lot of this information on your I-130 form, so it's the same. And then we go to information about your marital history. So if you're married now, which you are because you're filing through marriage, you will click on married and if you are married is your spouse a current member of the US Armed Forces if your spouse is a member of the US Armed Forces and you would click yes how many times have you been married before so and and this includes annulled marriages so you want to put down how many times you've been married before if it's the only time then you just want to put one time and then this is where you would enter information about your current spouse, who is also the petitioner. So their information would go in here. Uh, if your current spouse is a U.S. citizen, there is no A number. And this birth date and the date of marriage and where you got married. Uh, a lot of this information is, is information you've already provided. Place of your current marriage and it asks here people get confused here is your current spouse applying with you if you're if you're applying for adjustment of status through marriage here then you're going to mark no information about prior marriages this is where you put all your prior marriages where you got married you do need to have this information so hopefully you remember it or have it with you and then you're going to enter information about your children indicate the total number of all living children so it is important for you to enter all of your children in here especially if you're if you're planning to uh, petition for any of your children in the future if you don't enter them here and you then want to become a citizen and apply for any children, uh, 
um, you might have issues to deal with. So enter all of that information in here. So read this carefully. It's telling you which how many children you need to enter in here, whether married or unmarried, living with you or elsewhere. You want to include any missing children and other children that were born outside of your marriage. So read that and to make sure that you answer it correctly. Provide the following information for each of your children. So you're going to put the information in for your children, their names, their birth dates. Um, if they're already here and have alien registration numbers, then you would enter that as well. It's asking, is your child applying with you? So this is only important if you um, are filing for marriage and you also already have existing children that your petition or spouse is going to file for as well. So you want to uh, enter, if the spouse is, is filing for him, you want to enter yes. If you don't have any children, uh, or if your children are already grown up and you're not going to, you're, they're not filing with you, then you want to click no. And all of, actually all of this page is for children as well. It gives you enough space for three children. And then you go to biographic information, Hispanic or Latino, white, uh, you choose the proper box for your race, your height, weight, eye color, and hair color. And you just click in the boxes. I'll click gray for me. So general eligibility and inadmissibility grounds. Um, so have you ever been a member of, or there are actually quite a few questions here and there, and some of the questions are very intricate and you have to be very careful how you answer these. So let's start with the first one. Have you ever been a member of involved in or in any way associated with any organization, association, fund, foundation, party, club, society, or similar group in the United States or in any other location in the world, including any military service. So there are a lot of people that have that have been in the military or have belonged to some social organization or a school organization or association. You want to put that information here uh, because this is needed for your background check. So it's very important that you complete this as thoroughly as possible. So if the answer is yes, you click yes. If it's no, if you never belong to anything, then you just click no and, and uh, you don't have to fill out any of the uh, information in these. So they have enough space for three organizations. Uh, and if there are more, then you want to add that in an addendum to this form or at the last page, on the last page. Part eight, again, uh, these are really important questions. You want to read them very carefully. We won't go through every single question here, but there are some questions that are key questions that we will address. Uh, and, and, and there are also some questions that are uh, a little confusing for people. So it's asking if you've ever been denied admission to the United States. So if you've ever tried to enter the U.S. and they said, no, you can't come in, or they canceled your visa, or anything like that happened, you want to answer yes. Have you ever been denied a visa to the United States? If you applied for your B1, B2 visa and it was denied, or you applied for an F1 visa and it was denied, and then later you applied for another visa and it was approved, you still have to answer yes that you've been denied a visa here. 
Have you ever worked in the United States without authorization? So if you are the spouse of a U.S. citizen and you have worked without authorization, don't worry. It's one of the very few privileges of being married to a U.S. citizen that you're not going to be punished for it. But you do want to be honest. If you worked without authorization, then you need to mark yes. Have you ever violated the terms or conditions of your non-immigrant status? If you overstayed your visa, then you have violated those terms. So you want to mark yes. Are you presently or have you ever been in removal? So again, you would know if you were in removal or deportation proceedings. Uh, if you've ever been excluded from the United States, um, then you would mark yes. Some people have been excluded, but then waited long enough and came in legally. So again, if any of these things have ever happened, you want to answer truthfully. So all of these have to do with, um, with deportation or removal. And this one has to do, number 22 has to do with voluntary departure. So it's asking, have you ever been granted voluntary departure by an immigration judge but failed to depart within the allotted time? So this is very important. Some people forget and they think that because they entered with a visa but got voluntary departure that they're still okay to file. If you got voluntary departure and didn't leave, you may not be able to do adjustment of status. So this is an important question. Um, and... The rest of these questions will go ahead. Oh, um, there is this question, number 24A, that is confusing to some people because they don't know what a J non-immigrant exchange visitor visa is. If you don't know what it is, then you never had one. So you, don't, you won't know the answer to this one. But if you were subject to the two-year foreign residency requirement, you need to mark yes, that you were subject. And then they will want to see evidence that you complied with the foreign residence requirement. And they will even ask you that question here. Did you comply? Yes. Um, they ask, have you ever been granted a waiver or has the Department of State issued a favorable waiver recommendation letter for you? So if you've had a waiver uh, for, say, a non-immigrant visa, uh, then you definitely want to enter that there. <clears throat> We go up to the next questions. Um, these all have to do with criminal acts and violations. And read these very carefully because if you don't read them carefully, you might not answer it um, correctly because some people will not see um, the words clearly. So I would suggest that you read these questions twice. So the first question has to do if you've ever been arrested, cited, or charged. And you read that one, and if you have been, you mark yes. If you have been, you want to make sure that you uh, attach any information that has to do with the arrest if you um, have it. Uh, if you don't have it, you should try and get it because you'll probably be asked for it. Have you ever committed a crime of any kind, even if you were not arrested? So... Um, this one, um, you, you really want to be careful how you answer this question. Have you ever pled guilty or even been convicted of a crime or offense, even if the violation was subsequently expunged or sealed? For immigration purposes, 
if you've been convicted or you've been arrested, um, it can be expunged and other people will not be able to see that you were ever convicted or arrested. But guess what? Immigration will be able to see that. So if it happens, then you want to mark yes there. So I will let you go ahead and read the rest of the questions um, because they're... Um, you should be able to answer those if you read them carefully. Number 30, have you ever violated or attempted or conspired to violate any controlled substance law or regulation? Uh, some people have had a what they call a misdemeanor violation for marijuana and there is a uh, way there is a one-time waiver for that, but only for one violation. Anything more than that then you're not eligible and you probably shouldn't be doing adjustment of status. You'll want to speak to an attorney before you do anything. Go on, going on, um, I'm not going to read all of these because if you read them carefully, you should be able to understand them and answer these. I'm just going to fly through them to see if there's any that might be a little confusing and you might need some help in answering. So you should be able to answer no to all of these questions, including the questions on security. And these have to do with espionage and other activity and trying to overthrow the U.S. government. And I'm sure no one completing this form would ever try and do that. But if you have, you answer truthfully. So let's see. I'm going through these forms, just these questions, just to see if there's something here that might pop out as difficult for you to uh, understand. And I'm not seeing any that would be really difficult. Um, there is this funny question here, number 57. During the period from March 23, 1933 to May 8, 1945, did you ever, and most people have not even been born during this period, um, so you probably will be able to answer no to that question, but you still have to answer that question, so even if you weren't born yet. So we'll continue on with the questions, and all of these questions um, are easy questions for you to answer, or should be if you read them carefully. This question for public assistance is one that brings up a lot of questions because some people have maybe had emergency Medi-Cal when they're here in, in, the, in the U.S. And emergency Medi-Cal, as you can see, says other than emergency medical treatment, the answer is no. So if you used emergency Medi-Cal, that is not public, considered public assistance, so mark no on that one. And you definitely want to mark no on are you likely to receive public assistance because that is one of the reasons that uh, they have you complete an affidavit of support is to make sure that you do not become a public charge. So we go on to illegal entries and other immigration violations. So have you ever failed or refused to attend or, uh, or remain in attendance at removal proceeding filed against you on or after April 1997? 
And uh, if that is so, then you would know the answer to that. If you've been in removal proceedings, you will know. Uh, where did I go? Oh, I flipped the wrong place. Going up to the next column of questions. <sighs> Let's see. Some people don't understand uh, question number 78. Have you ever renounced U.S. citizenship to avoid being taxed in the U.S.? Uh, if you ever renounce U.S. citizenship, you would know that you renounced it. And if it was because you were being taxed, then you do need to be honest here. They will have that information at the U.S. consulate. And it may come up at your interview. Section part nine, accommodations for individuals with disabilities and other impairments. Uh, if you are disabled and you need assistance and you're going to uh, complete this, these boxes here. So pay attention to those. And then finally we get to uh, near the end of this and we're going to complete the applicant's statement and contact information. So if you the applicant can read and understand English, you mark this box. If you can't and you use an interpreter, you mark this box and you enter here in this box the, um, the language that was used for interpretation purposes. This is where the applicant's contact information, so you the beneficiary applicant will put in your, your phone number and your email address and uh, read the declaration before you sign and uh, make sure that you review this form several times before you sign and then go ahead and sign the where it says applicant signature. If you did use an interpreter then you have to have the interpreter's contact information and the interpreter will also need to sign this form and if someone helped you to prepare the form even if it was your spouse then the spouse uh, the US petitioner spouse will enter his information in here and uh, and complete and sign the form. So the U, if it was a U.S. citizen spouse, they will click on I am not an attorney and complete, read the certification, sign it, and you're pretty much done with the form. This is the last page, part 14, where you would put any additional information that you could not fit on the form in previous pages. So you want to make sure you enter the page number, the part number, and the item number that you're discussing in these boxes. And we're done with form I-485. I hope you enjoyed watching this video. It gives you kind of an idea how to fill the form. If you have any more questions, just post them in the, in the comments below. And let me know what other videos you'd like to see. Maybe other forms, maybe other questions, maybe other inquiries. Just let me know, we'll do more videos. Our commitment is to do a video every week at least. And thanks for your support, and we'll see you at our next video. Thanks for watching. 
Thank you for listening to the Ask My Immigration Lawyer podcast, the show that's dedicated to answering your immigration questions. Simple as that. See you next week for another round of questions and much needed answers.